Hi, everyone. I'm here with John Pratt today. Uh, he's a senior partner and founder of Hamilton Pratt. And I've been informed uh, he's one of the leading franchise lawyers in Europe, um, which I know to be true. But uh, I'll let him I'll let him dispute that if he likes. Well, David, I, I normally think to be the leading, not one of, but you know, you're quite right just to sort of play it down a bit. Um, <laughs> thank you. No, John. Thank, thanks. Thank, thanks for thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And um, you know, first of all, I just want to, as I, 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 I want to say congratulations, really, because it looks like you've you've been going twenty years uh, in your current format uh, with Hamilton Pratt. So um, that's that's quite a landmark. Well, we uh, I, I was in a big firm and we did franchising, um, and I sort of sort of formed the view that. Franchising didn't really fit in terribly well with big firms. Uh, it, it wasn't of great interest to them. So we set up Hamilton Pratt, and all we do in terms of clients is is act for franchisors and and franchisees. Um, so our complete focus for everybody here is is franchising. Yeah. Well, interestingly, that's a question I I was about to come on to. Actually, it, it was it was to ask what motivated you to set up Hamilton Pratt in the first place. Because, you know, I can see you were at uh, Pinsent Masons, weren't you, uh, before uh, as a managing partner, and um, you, you've explained you've explained why in a big firm. I think they were one of the top fifteen lo uh, law firms at the time. Maybe still are. Um, they are. And 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 franchising was maybe a very small part of what they did, uh, and 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 you wanted to you wanted to change that. It was, and you know the sort of I I don't want to be too rude about big firms, but the big firm you know sort of approach is the partners don't do the work; they bring the work in, they supervise, and they pass the work down to the most junior person. Who could do it, and and they learn on the file and record time on the file, and the client ends up paying for it and not really getting advice from people who know about franchising. So um, it didn't seem to me to be a great formula. And and the hints you you left and 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 set up Hamilton Pratt. Um, who was that just at the time uh, and what was happening you know who who came was there anyone came with you or was it yeah. just yourself or how many of, of you were yeah that i um it's so long ago I, I can barely remember but it was there were um four of us i think initially uh just doing franchising you know now there are uh 10 of us um and again the focus is just on franchising um, and I suppose that, yeah, I, I don't know, that we have many more um, people doing exclusively doing franchising than any other law firm in Europe. But um, that doesn't mean anything. Um, so there you are. And, 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 and John, you were the Pratt in that. Uh, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but who, who is or who was Hamilton? Well, <laughs> well when your surname is Pratt, you, you know, I could call it sort of Pratt & Co, but I just thought, mm, I don't know about that. So uh, my middle name is Hamilton. And if you're really unlucky, I, I can show you a, a picture of me wearing a Hamilton clan kilt. So it's it's Hamilton. That's where the Hamilton comes in. Brilliant. All right. I love I love that. So I, I wanted to ask. I didn't expect that that answer, actually. But uh, now I know. So um, uh <laughs> Uh, so uh, tell tell me, um, John, what what does Hamilton Pratt offer your clients? What's the range of services? What what do you try and 
be able to offer within within franchising? Okay. Well, look, at the very start of a relationship um, with, in our case, usually a franchisor, we do represent franchisees, but but our main focus is, is franchisors. It's normally preparing the franchise agreement. Now, that may also involve preparing a, a, an option deed. It may uh, uh, do a deposit agreement. It may indeed involve obtaining registered trademarks. So that that's the beginning of the relationship. And then all franchisors have issues with franchisees and um, we advise on those issues on a continuing basis. And very occasionally, unfortunately, in franchising, there's a dispute with a, with a franchisee. And bear in mind that franchising is quite heavy on disputes because franchise agreements are long-term commercial agreements. Uh, they're generally complicated you know, they're long, detailed agreements. And as I know, you know, um, franchisees love the franchisor at the beginning because they're being told how to do things. Um, and then the sort of love goes down a bit, you know, because they start saying, well, why are we paying the franchisor this continuing fee? Um, you know, we know it, we've used the brand, we've built up the brand. And so there is that sort of, relationship problem uh, or not problem but potential relationship issue that 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 arises and franchisors with your help um need to manage that and those who do it really do well and don't get into disputes don't spend loads of dosh with lawyers like me um but but it's challenging and so we do get involved unfortunately in a lot of disputes yeah, and that and that's the and that's the business you're in. And and um, uh, what what would be your advice to a to a franchisor and a franchisee actually that are at an early stage of a potential dispute, or maybe yeah, at that early stage, if you like, and and it might be could be to do with the agreement, it could be to do with an op the operations manual, it could it could be to do with compliance, it could be to do with lots of things. What what what's your advice and, and the best way to, to handle those things to prevent the lawyers becoming involved? Yeah, good question. Well, uh, the first thing to say is that you know, very often, as you've alluded to, Dugan, to uh, as a dispute about the uh, particular clause in the franchise agreement or the manual, that's normally just a surface bit. Normally beneath that, there is a relationship problem. Uh, and research uh, undertaken in, in Australia, not, not in this country, showed that franchisees feel, if they feel that they're not shown the respect that they think they deserve and treated well by the franchisor, then they look for disputes and they look for an issue to have an argument with. Um, so the, your starting point is... You know, treat franchisees properly, treat them with respect, listen to their views. You may not agree with them, but actually don't sort of disregard them and and uh, and that sort of thing, because that will then lead to a potential dispute. Number one. Number two, engage with them, you know, and say, look, Bill, let's have a talk about this. Let's meet. Let's discuss what the issue is uh, uh, and so on. Number three 
don't do stupid things. Um, I mean, I was involved in the franchise all that had been going for a long time. Uh, m many of the franchisees have been franchisees for 10, 15, 20 years. And yet the, the, the team that the franchise all sent out to regularly meet franchisees, to deal with their queries and so on, were newly recruited, who had no idea, you know, no real in-depth knowledge of the franchise. And so that really cheesed off franchisees who said, hold on, I know much more than these head office guys that are coming here and supposed to be guiding me. Um, and then last, well, no, not last, um, and then make sure that in your franchise agreement, there are ways to resolve disputes um, which don't involve lawyers. So, yeah, use self-help remedies. So um, say that if there's a problem, if a franchisee is stopping paying, that you can stop providing backup services, you can do things that would make it very difficult for the franchisee to, to operate. And all of those things don't involve wasting money with lawyers. And then lastly, bear in mind that litigation is the worst possible solution. I absolutely recognize that there may be a very small number of cases where you have no choice but to litigate, but it really has to be the last choice for you. And unfortunately, there are lawyers out there that try to persuade franchisors that, oh, litigation is a good idea. We've won all our cases. You know, we'll, we will get you your money. Um, just don't believe them. Uh, litigation, win or lose, is a really seriously bad idea. And the cost of litigation is horrendous. And you would almost always be better off spending that cost on marketing your business, promoting your business, keeping the 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 the, the, the franchisees' clients who you're having a dispute with um, happy and so on, rather than wasting it on lawyers. Which, which is all uh, very similar to um, kind of a high net worth divorce uh, that that might be happening. Um, you know, it's it's a similar similar. I guess the similar advice would would be true. Um, well, so Duncan, I don't have any experience of high net worth divorces, but, but the speed at which you mentioned that suggests that <laughs> maybe you do. Anyway, uh, we, won't go there. we won't go there. We won't. We won't go there. No, not me directly. But um, but no, I I, I uh, yes, I have some experience through through uh, through connections about that but um but but yes to, so to avoid i mean to avoid these disputes um it's fair to say that having a good franchise agreement to start with that is signed between franchisor and franchisee is absolutely critical um and it's also fair to say that spending money on ensuring that that is set up in the first place by a franchisor you know franchisor spending that money with lawyers to do that and the right kind of lawyers um, is a very very wise starting point. So I, I just wanted to talk a bit about that and get your your views on what makes a good franchise agreement. And and I'm talking at you know I'm talking at a a kind of a national single unit level. Nothing nothing complicated uh, at this at this point. Um, but but what should that include? Um, and how how should how should the legal that legal agreement be linked to an operations manual what what whatever an operations manual is these days could be digital could be video could be could be your old school 800 page operations manual but yeah 
thoughts on okay. that? Another really good question. Now, bear in mind that the cost of preparing a franchise agreement by somebody who knows what they're doing um, is tiny in comparison to the cost of litigation. And the purpose of your franchise agreement really is to discourage disputes and discourage litigation. Uh, and the better drafted it is, the more likely that I'm looking at this from a franchisor's perspective, the more likely it is that the franchisee or his lawyer will look at the agreement and say, no, you know, we don't have a claim because of this clause in the franchise agreement. So nobody likes spending money with lawyers, but you're better off spending a small amount of money uh, getting the franchise agreement right rather than spending it on, on a dispute. That's point number one. Point number two, there are relatively few lawyers out there who do a lot of franchising. Um, you need to go on the BFA's list of affiliated lawyers uh, and um, they list those that, that, that do. Um, pick one of those, don't use your local property lawyer who may well say, oh yes, no, don't, don't worry, I know all about franchising, they don't. And I sort of put it similarly to you know having brain surgery. Well, if I was gonna have brain surgery, I'd want somebody who was a brain surgeon and a top leading brain surgeon. I wouldn't want somebody who one day does app appendix removals, another day you know, sorts out your ingrown toenails and you know, occasionally does a bit of brain surgery. So, and the same applies. And don't use, don't download agreements off the internet. Um, I ought to have checked with you first. Do, do you do you um, prepare franchise agreements? No, no. We, we work through BFA affiliated lawyers to do that, John. Well, good because what I was going to say: if you're working with a consultant who says I can draft your franchise agreement, that's the biggest warning sign that you're dealing with the wrong consultant. Okay, I can't provide consultancy services. And consultants can't provide legal services. So, um, you know, get it done by a lawyer. I know we're ridiculously expensive, but I promise it will save, save you money. So that's the sort of thinking up, up to it. Then get an agreement that isn't as complicated as possible, but is as simple as possible. Um, there's a case that... Dugan knows all about called Drain Doctor, which changed things in franchising. And the buffoon lawyer who prepared it, and this was a, a, a franchise agreement involving sort of sorting out problems with your sewage and your drains, not complicated. He produced a 120 page agreement full of schedules. You needed a PhD from Oxford to understand the agreement, and the judge hated it. So it, it's not clever for lawyers to produce a uh, really complicated agreement. Having said that, most franchise agreements are 40 to 50 pages long. Next, um, make sure the person you delegate um, um, to making sure that the agreements are signed is actually intelligent and knows how to do it because at least 50% of franchise agreements that are sent to me when there's a problem um, haven't been properly executed and that causes you a problem. So 
take execution of the agreement really seriously. And, and lastly, there used to be a saying, once you sign the agreement, put it in your drawer and just ignore it. And that was trying to get across the, the sense that, look, franchising is about a relationship. It isn't about a legal agreement. Uh, and that bit I get. But you have to know what's in the agreement. You have to have quite a senior person who knows what's in the agreement. For instance, uh, in my agreements, um, uh, I say, look, the ownership of the customer list belongs to the franchisor. And the franchisee will provide the customer list to the franchisor either electronically, remotely, in real time, or whenever the franchisor asks for it. So we get to a dispute and the franchisor says, it's going to be really important for us to you know, keep these, these customers if the franchisee goes independent. And I said, well, you, you've got the list of all of the, the customers. I said, no. And I said, hold on, clause 8.3 says you're entitled to that list. And that's a really simple step you take that prevents having to go to court to get the list and, and, and so on. So whilst don't get the agreement out every time there's a discussion with the franchisee, know, know what's in there um, and train your, your colleagues to make sure that they know what's in there. Okay, so so John, no, that's brilliant. I I I love everything you've said there, and and I totally get it. How your franchise agreements that you guys put together for franchisors that are signed by by franchisees after that, um, how 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 do you how do they change from a a van based uh, franchise model to a care sector based franchise model to a premise based F and B based type of franchise model, um. There's, there's going to be common clauses, I imagine, that make up a certain percentage of every agreement. Um, and then there's a lot of bespoking that needs to be done, depending on not just the sector, um, but also the makeup of the model of that business. And, and this is and this goes back to what you're saying. This is why you just simply cannot trust ever a, a downloadable template um from the internet or or a consultant uh producing some legal agreement and putting in your hand and saying you know 500 pounds there you go um it's all done and dusted so so uh so how what, what's the process what's the best way to explain how a franchise agreement is built based on a particular you know franchise business model well, Dugan, everything you've just said is is, is spot on. So uh, when we are instructed to prepare, prepare a franchise agreement, we have a franchise agreement checklist where we try to get all of the information that we need that has an influence on the variable elements um, to the agreement. Um, and based on that checklist, we then produce a discussion draft. Now, you're completely right that we don't start with a clean piece of paper in producing a franchise agreement. We obviously start with our drafting um, standard franchise agreement, and we have various standards, various lengths, you know, so there are variables. And those standards, and I'm sure it's the same for, for other lawyers who do a lot of franchising, um, are constantly updated. 
we constantly look at things and is there a better way of doing it or problems have arisen which sort of educate us to a particular issue that we haven't you know dealt with and so on so our drafting standard you know really contains all of our basic not basic all of our know-how and knowledge about legal aspects of, of franchising it's all in there um so you know the common view is oh you just sort of use that agreement well you don't um it, you know it's it's a basis and it's a ought to be a really good basis and then as you pointed out unlike uh agreements that are prepared you know off the internet which are just basic they're not they're not made bespoke to your um, your particular business and to the particular issues that are important to your business um we then get the bespoke stuff and 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 put it in um and, and it's a process and it's you know we have a uh, we produce a discussion draft based on the checklist we then have a really detailed discussion uh, where we go through every clause of the agreement where the franchisor says, you know, you, you haven't got that right. No, you haven't understood what we want. I say, look, I think there's a better way of doing it. We can do we can do that. And then we normally produce uh, yeah, another two drafts and the franchisor um, says, yeah, that, that that's fine. So it's it's quite an interactive process between us and the franchisor. Um, you know, in order to really understand how the business works, to understand the issues for them. And obviously, Dugan, you know, many franchisors have been advised by you guys. And so you've highlighted those issues that, that need to be brought to the attention of a lawyer. And that's an, you know, an extremely valuable exercise. Um, and whether you've done it as a separate exercise or simply produced it in, in the, the franchise information memorandum disclosure um, document, you know, however you describe it, it it's really important. Um, so it's interactive. You get involved and we, we and other lawyers make it as bespoke as we possibly can. Right. And, and um, the the length. Quickly, just to touch on the length of the agreement. I mean, agreements can range from, I've seen three-year franchise agreements running up to 20-year with different clauses and break clauses in between. What What's what's the most common? Is it the five-year agreement? I, 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 and what's your view on all of that? You're right, as always. Um, uh, it, it is a five-year agreement is the most common. Uh, probably... 60, 70% of agreements are five years. And there's a very good reason for that. Um, it's a technical reason, really boring, but it's a technical reason based on competition law that you can oblige for five years a franchisee to buy products from you, the franchise, or, or your nominated su suppliers. But you can only do that for five years if you're requiring them to buy more than 80 percent of their product requirements so that was that's a starting point less than five years i sort of think is this a franchise if it's less than five years i mean there may be a very good reason why there would be a short initial term at the beginning but you know normally franchising involves investment from a franchisee 
which the franchisee needs to recover. Uh, and three years is almost certainly not long enough. And you want a long term commitment. Um, now, five years may not be long enough for really expensive franchises. I mean, you know, to kid out a, a McDonald's, you know, is going to cost you, you know, a lot of money and, and you wouldn't be able to get your money back, I don't believe, in, in five years. So there may be those financial reasons why a longer term is required. And so if 60, 70% are five years, I would say 10 to 20% are 10 years. Um, and, you know, sometimes seven years and so on. Now, for very expensive franchises like McDonald's, um, the length of the, uh, of the franchise agreement is 25 years length of, of the lease. Um, uh, and there's a downside of having a very long term um, for a franchise agreement for franchisors. And that is that normally when you grant a five-year term or any, well, let's stick with the five-year term. When you grant a five-year term, you normally guarantee to franchisees, providing they met the conditions for a new agreement, a new agreement at the end of each five-year term. So two, normally an initial term and at least two renewals, so 15 years. And the renewal is, is not on the same terms as the agreement that franchisees entered into when they became a franchisee, the franchisor can renew them. And generally the clause says, you will, we will renew you on our then current franchise agreement. So it enables a franchisor to change the terms, to within reason, change the continuing fee, the amount of the continuing fee, change the obligations and so on. So, um, I generally like five-year terms, but there may be commercial reasons why five years is not right. Sure, no, I get I get that, and and um, you you talk about renewals. Um, I think a brilliant uh, a brilliant thing to talk about is how franchisors should manage renewals. So, uh, a franchise agreement is signed. Let's call it a five-year. Uh, term um, so everyone's happy uh, and then at what point should renew the renewal of that five-year agreement if there's going to be a renewal when should that be looked at how long before the term comes up well uh, I guess the answer to that is anything between one year and three months before the end of the term um, and the guiding principle ought to be how long do you need as a franchisor if the franchisee doesn't want to renew? How long will you need to recruit a new franchisee in that territory? Um, uh, so you don't want too short a period before the franchise uh, ends, the five-year term ends. Neither do you want too long a period because if you've agreed a renewal and they start behaving badly, it's difficult. I mean... Normally, um, there's a provision in the franchise agreement that would en enable you to withdraw the renewal if they are in breach of the agreement after you've agreed it and so on. But, but you, you know, you don't want to get into that territory. So 
one year to three years, how long does it take to renew, uh, to find a new franchisee would be my guide. Okay, no, that's good. That's a, a really good tip. Uh, cost of agreement. Um, again, typical five-year UK franchise agreement could be van-based or whatever, but nothing atypical. Um, what kind of range of costs are we talking about? Well, uh, I, I can speak for myself and I could be completely upfront. If we do it, uh, our, our fee is £4,850 plus VAT. That's if I do it. I've got a, a brilliant colleague, Sophie Peasley, um, who's has a, a lower charge out rate from me. She does a lot of franchise agreements. Her charge is a less and it's 3750 Now, I guess the range in terms of lawyers would be somewhere between 3000 and i mean i've seen 20000 from you know one of you know some of the big london firms um mostly sort of three and a half to seven and a half mostly but but you know that it's that sort of range which i know for a franchise all starting off you know, is a lot of money. Um, but um, honestly, it, it, it is worth it. Of course, I would say that, wouldn't I? But it is worth it. It is. It is. Um, John, there's an argument, and, and I will make it here, um, that before that kind of money is spent on the franchise agreement, that you, you should test the market first to make sure that that you can actually attract the franchisee who's going to sign said agreement. Um, now, that's that's kind of the argument. I I kind of fall on that side of the argument because what's the point having a franchise agreement if you can't find someone to sign it? So so my my advice has always been, and I may be wrong, so I'm happy to be corrected. But my advice has always been, I'd rather them put more money they've got now into getting themselves set up in the right way. Um, some money on marketing, handle those inquiries and bring some people through because those first franchisees are going to be pilots anyway. Um, so they can understand that the franchise agreement is kind of being drawn up um, whilst they are doing their due diligence, whilst they are in go, you know, building that relationship. What what would you say to, to that? Even I mean, slightly worryingly or annoyingly for people who are watching, listening to this, uh, I agree with everything um, you've you've said. Um, you before you franchise, you've got to pilot test it. You've got to make sure that there are, as you said, prospective franchisees out there that actually your business. And don't forget, you can only franchise a successful business. You know, you can't franchise a business that's failing, losing money, and you think, oh, well, if I franchise it, you know, everything will be okay. Um, you need to make sure that it can be replicated, um, you know, when somebody else is is doing it in another area. Um, you need to prepare your operations manual with the help of the, the franchise centre. Um, you need to do all of those things. Yeah, before you spend serious money in doing a franchise agreement, exhibiting at the NEC and uh, uh, and all of those things. Uh, and so, yeah, you need a short and simple 
pilot franchise agreement, um, you need uh, to work on your manual, you need to make sure it can be replicated, and you need to make sure that there's interest out there from people who would want to, to operate your franchise business. Complete 100% agreement. Right. Well, and and let me let me talk to you about a pilot franchise agreement. How different will that or can that be to the main franchise agreement? Well, there are two approaches. Um, and we there are pros of con and cons of both. We have a really short two to three page three page franchise uh, pilot franchise agreement, which basically says um, you will do what we tell you to do. Um, you won't divulge any confidential information. Uh, at the end of the pilot term, which is usually 12 months, um, we will give you the option if it works out to enter into a franchise agreement or not. Uh, and that will be a proper five-year franchise agreement. Uh, and if you don't, you can't be involved in, there'll be a post-termination non-compete covenant. You can't be involved in a competing business. You can make it as simple as that for you know a few hundred pounds um the cost of that providing there are no serious tweaks you would set out the payments that the pilot franchisee has to make uh, and then subsequently you go the whole hog and prepare the proper franchise agreement alternatively and this sort of is the way that lawyers feel more comfortable with you know you, you prepare the the all singing all, all dancing franchise agreement right away for the pilot um it's, that sort of defeats one of the objects of the pilot which is to a save money and b learn if it can work so um i i actually prefer the much short, shorter and simpler holding agreement providing it doesn't last too long of a very short and simple pilot agreement i agree i agree i, I think that's yeah that makes absolute sense sense what you're saying john i've never i've never I've actually talked to a lawyer about that as such. I've I've always made my own logical assumptions, which can be dangerous. But um, it, it's good to hear it's it, it, you you uh, you kind of largely agree agree with the way that we work as a consultancy and what what advice we give. I think uh, I'm unusual, Dugan. Uh, you know, in, in, yeah. in saying I'm, I I think I am. I I, I don't know, but um, John, I think you are. I think you are because. Um, everywhere i've ever looked is says that you need to have the franchise agreement in place um before taking on any kind of franchisee a pilot or otherwise and um i've just always disagreed with that i've just i've just because because it's it's a, it's a big expense that you may never end up using um exactly. and, and that's a real shame um that the money that you would spend on a franchise agreement you can actually put into finding the right pilot, um, and and that and and your costs are covered that way. So, um, and then working with that pilot over twelve months or pilots uh, under a much simpler agreement, it, it's going to help define what the fr the, the full franchise agreement is going to look like, um, and 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 it should make that full franchise agreement way better in the long term. Um, so, I completely uh, agree. Yeah. So good, good. So good advice there for 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 anyone listening. Um, save some money on the franchise agreement in the right way, not, not by downloading templates and things, but by, by doing, by doing one thing, then the other. Um, execution of agreements, John. Um, and, and what we mean by that is 
having a fr or getting a franchisee to sign the franchise agreement once once uh, once there's a once yes there's an agreement in place what's your advice to doing that because lots of franchisors pay good money for a good franchise agreement and then they execute badly or they do not follow the right procedure to get that signed um there's a lot of talk about can you can you use Adobe Sign or DocuSign, which are well recognized electronic signing software? Uh, we use it as well. Can you use that in conjunction with a franchise agreement? It, does that software become the right kind of witness? Um, and 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 then the execution itself should it be done by the lawyer um, themselves? So you know should should every time a franchise agreement is due to be signed, should the lawyer be paid a few hundred pounds to to insert the relevant details, make sure it's correct. Um, so just your thoughts on all of that. There's quite a lot in that, but I think it's really important. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we provide a service to franchisors you know, to do the execution so that we make sure it's executed properly, that all of the information that should be in there is in there, uh, that payment arrives into a, you know, a bank account and, uh, and so on. And it's as you said it's a, a few hundred pounds um it's potentially i suppose attractive to those franchisors at the beginning who don't want to make mistakes don't know how to do it maybe then they say they can say well look we know how to do it so we don't need it um but if you're going to do it yourself you have to get your lawyer who prepared the agreement to, to explain where you need to sign where you need to put things uh, to make sure it's done properly because something i said earlier that at least 50 percent of franchise agreements that we see when there's a problem um, have not been executed properly properly and you know you're just causing added expense for yourself and and you know potential problems in terms of enforceability um and then um, lastly, doing it digitally, yeah, more and more of our franchise all clients say we want to do it digitally. And as you mentioned, we we generally use DocuSign. Um, that it works doing it digitally. Um, there are issues of witnesses. There are issues around. Um, if it's a deed uh, and so on. But these are issues that um, we think shouldn't prevent you from doing it digitally if, if that is more convenient for you. So you so you you're an advocate of it um, where 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 it's you know, where it's reasonable to do that. How does how how would you go about that? So if you were if you were if you were executing, if you were asked to execute an agreement and the process was to do it digitally, whether you were using your software or the franchise or software or however it was set up, what, you know, how, how do you, how do you do that um, to make sure that, and, and I, I don't, you don't need to give secrets away, but I, I, I just, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to get across to people is um, when, when people sign it, um, do, do they need a witness if it is done through electronic software because of this whole question? And I think it's a big one of, well, the electronic software positions itself as the witness and, and with all. The, so so you don't need someone else watching you sign and then countersigning or whatever. So 
I just wanted to understand what advice you can give for, because people are always looking at this electronic thing and, and everyone's so scared of doing it that I don't know if I've ever seen a franchise or actually do it. But I keep pushing saying, why aren't we doing that more? But I, you know, there could be great reasons, but. Dugan, I would say at least 50% of our franchise or clients do it electronically. Right. Okay. Um, and you're asking me for details about it uh, and you're asking completely the wrong guy um, because uh, I'm so grand and important, uh, I, I don't get involved in that. I delegate it, A, to uh, more junior colleagues who are much more tech savvy than I, I am uh, and you know, under supervision from a colleague that they they do it all um so i'm sorry i'm really sorry but i'm the wrong guy to ask john that's fine the takeaway here is if um if you want your franchise agreement signed electronically go and talk to hamilton pratt <laughs> well I, I you know that's kind of you to say that i i don't think we've got a monopoly on it but uh, but yes if that's the way you know it suits you do it digitally yeah yeah, yeah. No, no, that's 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 good. I, I might pick up with you separately uh, in the in the future on that on that point, John. And, okay. And um, yeah, no, that that's that's interesting for me. So, um, so one other thing that I get asked a lot is if there's a if there's a good franchise agreement in place. So 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 as a consultancy, we work with a lot of good uh, franchisors who we know have a good franchise agreement in place, put together by good franchise solicitors and so on. So where we know that the agreement's really, really good, um, how should we advise potential franchisees to have that agreement looked at or how they should look at it themselves? Or because, because the argument against doing it, John, is that the cost for doing it will range from 400 to 700 pounds. Um, and, and what they're going to get is a kind of a a summary of, of the franchise agreement, which could be 45, 50 pages. So they might get a one or two page summary. Um, it's still going to have some scary stuff in the summary because I've seen them. Um, and the bottom line is, well, it, it, if you disagree with anything in here, it's not changing. So, so, so I always think what's the point sometimes in, in, in us as a consultancy company, always advising a franchisee to spend that money to have a, a really good agreement that we know is good looked at when when actually that 600 pounds could actually go into them starting their new franchise business so i again I, not not taking um you know money out of your hands and your answer and so on but i just wanted to yeah hear what you have to say about that okay Jogan, let me ask you a question when you bought your house or flat did you get a survey done? A survey, a survey won't change it. It won't change the rotting for uh, windows. It won't, you know, it won't change it. But it will guide you as to whether this is a house that you should be paying whatever it is for, or indeed buying at all. So it, it's there to inform you, and a really good franchise report should do should highlight those provisions in the agreement which are unusual unworkable or unfair 
Um, I mean, like a survey survey report. And that's why it's really important that the report is not done by a junior junior lawyer who doesn't know about franchising. It's got to be done by somebody who knows about it. Uh, and I mean, I, I hate doing them, uh, but I actually do those reports um, because I know what should be in an agreement probably more than and what shouldn't than, than any anyone else. We make a huge, great loss on it, but we think it's important that it's done. So I completely get why um, uh, a franchisee, prospective franchisee, say, well, it's a lot of money to be told what's in the agreement. But I have had um, some fran prospective franchisees that, uh, have had a report from me which is very critical as to you know how bad the agreement was how there was some real unfair bits in it like you know the franchisor could charge whatever he puts in the manual well hold on the manual can be changed at any time so okay if you're risk if you're not risk averse and prepared to you know go ahead um maybe you don't get a report. And I suppose, if I was honest, if I was taking a McDonald's franchise, for instance, um, would I get a report? Probably not. Um, but in most, the great majority of other cases, whilst there wouldn't be a smile on my face at handing over 500, 600 quid to a lawyer, um, I would do it. John, is there a halfway is there a halfway house with this? So if you prepared a good franchise agreement for, let's say, one of our franchise or clients um, and, and it was a good agreement, they paid good money for it. Um, could you off the back of that for more payment, um, create a summary agreement of that agreement that you've put together? And could that summary agreement be used by the franchise or in future to help summarize uh, the agreement to a potential franchisee not saying don't spend any money with another solicitor to have your you know to have your agreement looked at but but just to say that this is a summary of the agreement in a in a laid out in a bit more layman terms um it, it it's your choice whether you want to go and, and have that looked at by a different solicitor is that is that is that a way forward uh, it, it kind of a to help well, I, I'm not sure that it helps, but yeah, I mean, I, we're often asked by franchisors to prepare a summary that they would make available to franchisees. But from a franchisor's perspective, you, with reservations, have an interest in making sure that the franchisee gets legal advice. Because what happens when there's a dispute and it goes to court the franchisees will often say, well, I, I, I never read that clause. I, 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 anyway, I didn't understand it. Um, and that helps them in getting the judge on, on side or, or uh, getting the judge to argue the franchisor should have brought this clause to your attention. So from a franchisor's perspective, whilst it's a pain because they have to deal with lawyers who might raise issues and so on, um, uh, it's normally in the best interest of the franchisor that that happens. And so more and more franchisors are requesting their franchisees to acknowledge and confirm that 
they have been advised by the franchisor to obtain legal advice um, and have obtained it, or they have decided not to uh, obtain legal advice um, uh, because they understand the agreement. So it's in the franchisor's interests that a prospective franchisee gets legal advice. Some make it a, a, a sort of requirement. Um, and a summary provided by the franchisor doesn't really explain to the franchisee what provisions are unusual, unworkable, or unfair. It doesn't really get across whether it's a well-prepared agreement and, and so on. So it doesn't really give uh, the information that you would you as a franch franchisee would get it from a report. No, John, that makes sense. I mean, that that's that that's without a doubt what we've always done. We've always advised people take legal advice. Um, we might put some caveats around that um, to to give people options um, rather than it being absolutely mandatory that they do. Um, so yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you, and I think you know I think that's important for franchisors to to take heed on is that. Um, they, they need to be able to show that they've advised that legal advice be taken against their franchise agreement. If someone chooses not to, they should declare they're choosing not to, and then they're covered for future, you know, for future reference. So um, I totally get that. So I've just I've just got what, one one more thing really to 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 cover, John, and then I can let you go. Um, and and this is this is looking at the more international uh, side of franchising. And this is when, you know, when brands are, are expanding internationally, they seeking franchise uh, partners uh, or, or business partners um, under the form of what's quite common, a master license agreement or master franchise agreement. And I know you have experience in this field as well. Um, I hear a lot, okay, um, that, and, and the consultants blaming lawyers for the breakdown of a potential relationship between parties. Um, you know, a UK franchisor seeking a master in Spain or France, and it's the lawyers that end up, you know, messing it all up. And 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 the deal was pretty much done until the lawyers got involved, and then and then suddenly it, it all went away. And and um and and that can be, in some cases, years of work getting to that point. Um, and it can lead to years more work to find another business partner only for the same cycle to to to, to come back again. So what I wanted to ask, are, you know, in your view, what are some of the main reasons that master license agreements um, cause a problem when it, when it actually comes to getting to the final handshake and, and setting up that that business partnership, which is really, really important? Um, it, it's just, you know. I've, in my experience over many, many years, um, there is a, there's just such a small percentage of brands are actually able to find uh, a, a master license or a master franchisee. Um, and it's not, I don't blame the lawyers at all, but it's what I, I hear, but there's lots of reasons for that. But what advice can you give just about that whole process in general and, and maybe the legal aspect as well? Okay, uh, and, and look, the Franchising Centre has a very, very high reputation in international franchising. I've, I've worked with um, one of your delightful colleagues uh, in many international deals. I hope she wasn't talking about me, uh, about <laughs> no. the lawyers messing, messing, uh, messing things up. Um, look, um, 
what I recommend is uh, early on, there is a relatively short and simple heads of terms. Because very often commercial people think that, you know, they've agreed everything, but haven't. And let me give you the, the, you know, the, the principle or just one example. Very often in, in international deals, um, as in domestic deals, you would want the individual who is behind the master license, uh, license or licensee rather, or master franchisee or developer, um, to provide a personal guarantee or bank guarantee. Now, the commercial people tend not to discuss that, um, yeah, because it's it's a slightly difficult thing to discuss. And so when you do heads of agreements, that, that gives you the opportunity to put, we will require a, a personal guarantee in. Um, and that brings out those provisions which you know, haven't been discussed by the commercial people, either because they fear it makes people uncomfortable or hadn't thought about it and so on. Um, and for instance, without a personal guarantee, you know, you're trusting the guy to pay you. Well, let me tell you, in a hell of a lot of international deals I've done, the guy ends up not paying you. Um, so, um, you know, there are those issues. So reduce the risk of the lawyers mucking it up for you by producing a short and simple heads of terms at the beginning with all of the principal uh, provisions. Don't make it too complicated because then you'll spend six months negotiating the heads of terms, you know, at great cost. Make it simple, but put all of the important stuff and then you'll know if you've got a deal or not. Good advice, good advice, John. And and no, it's got nothing. None, none of these deals that are falling through have anything to do with you or Hamilton Pratt. <laughs> and 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 I didn't get this information from Farah either. It's 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 not not our consultants. I have to say. So no, you're all good. You're all you're all in the clear there, John. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, lastly, I just wanted to talk to you about you know. Oh, your, your last question was la the last one. Oh, that was the last question. This is um, this isn't a question. Well, okay. this, isn't a question. this is this is this. I, I, I know you've written a book. So I wanted to just talk to you about the book, the book, which is, I think, called Franchising Law and Practice. Um, when did you write that book? Do you get it updated? Is there value in that book? And, and if so, can where can people find it still? Well, it, it, look, it's I wrote it first time probably 20, 30 years ago. It's updated twice every every year. Right. Um it's it's a legal textbook. So um you know it, it's not a great read. If you have <laughs> problems going to sleep, you could you could get it and you'll have no problem going to sleep. Um so it's principally aimed at, 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 at lawyers, not you know, not non-lawyers. Um uh it's bloody boring. Yeah, but it's something that we should have as a consultancy on our bookshelf, probably to refer to occasionally, right? It, it well, that would be a delight from my perspective. Well, I'll um I'll I'll ask you for a signed copy, John, next time I see you. And um yeah. Well the rare the, the rare ones are the unsigned ones, but yeah, you can you can get me to sign it. <laughs> Um, well, on that note, John, on that note, I'll um, I'll just like to say, you know, thank thanks so much for for spending the time. 
Um, I hope the clock hasn't been on and I hope I'm not going to get a, an invoice through the post because um, <laughs> you've given me a good hour here. So well, and it's been a delight. And thank you very much for asking me. Um, and, you know, I am a huge fan of the, the Franchise Centre. So um, thank you. Big thank you. No problem. All right, John, take care. And we'll, we'll see you. We'll see you soon, no doubt. I hope so.